Father, we're looking at something um, very simple tonight, but it has eternal consequences for the younger generation, particularly how we respond to these words. So whether we're young or whether we're old, we pray that you, by your spirit, would impress these truths on our hearts, that we wouldn't just believe them intellectually, but we would respond this week in practice. Please, would you be our teacher? Please burn these truths deep in our hearts and give us a hunger and a desire to love the next generation by passing on the greatest news in the world to them. Amen. Great, well, um, Psalm 78 sort of uh, dovetails with what we were looking at this morning, having a heart for the young. This is a wonderful psalm that uh, really helps us think about that further. This idea of the love of God um, calling us to take responsibility in passing on our faith to the next generation. I had a a lovely time over lunch uh, speaking to James Poot's grandfather, James and Simon's grandfather, and uh, he's 91 He was married for nearly 70 years, and we had a bit of a chat, and he was telling me some stories from his experience of the Second World War. Fascinating talking to him, a wonderful man. Um, But I love looking back in history, and I've got a real particular interest in sort of uh, war history. Um, So it's interesting hearing his stories about the Second World War. I've got a particular interest in the First World War, because uh, that little picture there is my great-grandfather, Lieutenant Colonel Arthur Haddo. I don't know if you can see the resemblance or not. Um, I'm not intending to grow a moustache. I'm not sure I'd be allowed to grow a moustache. Um, but that's him. Um, and uh, he commanded the Newfoundland Regiment. It's a Canadian regiment. And he was there um, in the Battle of the Somme in 1916 at a place called Beaumont Hamel. And the picture at the top is Beaumont Hamel um, in, uh, in France. And uh, this is where he commanded his regiment. I have a little uh, black diary here. There's a number of these at home that my mum looks after. Um, it says on the front here, 1918. This is 100 years old. And my great-grandfather wrote in this his experience of the war. And he had one very similar to this, a little smaller, that was in his top pocket. And there was a really moving moment a few years ago where I was at this place with my mum, and we were visiting um, the Somme. And we stood in the trench where he was commanding his troops over the top in 1916 in the Somme. And we sat reading his diary where he had written that tomorrow I have to send them over the top to their death. Incredibly moving. A tear running down my mum's face, my face, as we remembered my great-grandfather and all that he did for us. Can anyone tell me where that is? The Menin Gate. You may have on your bucket list um, sort of bungee jumping in New Zealand or uh, kayaking down the Zambezi. I'd add this bucket list. It perhaps won't be quite as exhilarating, but it will be one of the most important things you ever could do. Go to the Menin Gate in Ypres in Belgium. And uh, you can see on the walls 55,000 names inscribed of men who lost their lives uh, during the First World War. And at Ypres, at 8 o'clock every evening, uh, they play the last post, and it's a chance for people to gather. And there's that kind of a crowd every day of the year, whatever the weather, just reflecting and remembering. And I've been there, and it's a really moving moment. Uh, You can do Ypres in a day. I've been to Belgium and back in a day. And you can do it, but um, just get the late ferry back or the late um, tunnel so that you can be there at 8 o'clock, lest we forget. Well, Psalm 78 is a kind of lest we forget psalm. Um, It's a historical psalm. The longest psalm in the psalms is Psalm 119. Psalm 78 is the second longest. And it's a historical psalm because it kind of recounts the history of God's people. Uh, And I don't know if you noticed in those first few words that were read, familiar words, uh, my people hear my teaching 
Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. Where else in the Bible do those words come up? Come on, someone have a stab. In the Gospels, Matthew 13, who speaks those words? It's been a long day. It's going to be a very long evening. (laughs) Uh, These are words that Jesus spoke. Remember when he was talking about parables and why he spoke in parables? He quoted Psalm 78, and this is where the words in Matthew 13 come from. Uh, Jesus explains one of the reasons he speaks in parables is he's seeking to search the conscience of those who would hear. He didn't just tell people stories. He told people's stories in the form of a parable to get people thinking, to search people's consciences because the purpose of the parables were to demand a response. He didn't just want to gather a great crowd to listen to him. He wanted people to respond to him. And so that was the purpose of the Psalms. And very similarly, this Psalm, which is a historical Psalm, acts a bit like a parable. It recounts the history of God's people, but it's calling us to respond. And we'll see at the end, it ends very abruptly, kind of putting the ball in your court, in my court, and saying, how are you going to respond to what God has done in history? So we're just going to think about three things that Psalm 78 uh, teaches us, really simple things. But as I prayed at the beginning, things that will have eternal consequences um, for the next generation. And these aren't just things we need to think about if we're adults here. Just looking across to Matthew and Lydia and other young people here. These are responsibilities for you too, because to us you may be young, but there are younger people in the church who look up to you as examples, as role models. And so actually this is a psalm for all of us as we seek to think about how we nurture faith in those who are younger. Well, Psalm 78 teaches us lots of timeless gospel truths. Um, We're going to do something a little bit interactive now, just because you're a little bit sleepy. I've got some stuff written down here, but I don't want to give it to you. You're going to give it to me. That's how it's going to work now. What I'd love you to do, this is the way the activity will work. I want you, somebody, to shout out a timeless gospel truth. Okay? Then somebody else needs to respond by explaining to everyone else why that truth is so important for the next generation. Okay? See how we go. We're just thinking about what the gospel is, okay? Don't freak out. This isn't sort of really difficult. What are some of the really precious things that we must pass on to the next generation? Let's, let's have a starter for ten. Brilliant. God is love. Someone else respond. Why does the younger generation need to hear that glorious truth? Brilliant. We we talked a bit this morning when Matthew was in my box. Lots of young people living with anxiety and insecurity. So they have to know that God loves them. Lots of children growing up without, it seems, parents who do love them or parents who are present. To know that God loves them is a wonderfully important thing. Let's keep going. You'll warm up, I'm sure. Good, all have fallen short. Somebody else, why does it matter that young people know that we've all fallen short of the glory of God? We need saving. We don't want to sanitize the gospel. Oh, God's a God of love, which he is. We've just heard that. Without him also being a God of judgment, it's a good thing. Young people can't live on the back of their parents' faith. They've got to come to a personal conviction that they are sinful and need saving. And that's a glorious truth, and we have to pass that on as is appropriate as people grow older. Another truth? God made everything. See, we might know and be convicted of that truth, but young people, we can't assume that they'll know that, particularly these days with what people are taught in schools. Our young people are growing up in a culture where it's perhaps more common to assume that everything got here by chance. 
We have to declare that glorious truth that God created everything, including us. Cool, let's keep going. Brilliant. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It is by grace you have been saved, through faith, not by works. It's really important to help young people understand in life, we earn everything, don't we? We work to pay our bills and live in a house one day, but we don't work for our salvation, not to earn it. We work in response to it, but we don't earn it. Jesus Christ gives us our salvation by his grace. And young people need to hear that. Let's have a couple more. Brilliant. Yeah, not a foundational gospel truth, but a really important Christian truth. We must keep meeting together. Young people need to hear that, and we talked about this this morning, being in church, being around other Christians is hugely important. Um, Hebrews 10.25, do not give up meeting together, but encourage each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Again, Matthew in the box, young people who have massive identity issues because of what culture and the media feeds them, to say to every little boy, every little girl, you are wonderfully and fearfully made. Hugely important. Glorious gospel truth. Let's have one more. Brilliant. I'm glad someone said that. John 14, 6, a hugely important verse. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Hugely important that people see the exclusive nature of Jesus and what he's done. And I guess we can go on. But the point is, as we seek to teach these timeless gospel truths, as, we, as I spoke particularly in that moment to James and Aaron this morning, our young people are swimming against the tide because those glorious gospel truths are not gospel truths that are upheld in our schools most of the time. They're not glorious truths that their friends will be naturally talking to them about. They're not things they will naturally read in the newspapers on tablets, on phones, and yet we know that they're glorious gospel truths. Uh, Emily's just shared with us some of the impacts that other people have had on her as she grew up and people impressed some of these truths on them. As I reflect on my own uh, time growing up as a child, for me it wasn't uh, you know, a particular talk or a particular summer camp or one particular thing that a person said. What it was, and I say this particularly to encourage those of you who are parents with younger children, it was the cumulative effect of dripping truth in all the time. Not hammering it over a child's head, not bashing a child into faith. It can't work like that. But it was just the consistent, faithful prayers and dripping truth. For me, my parents are great writers and that had a huge impact on me. My dad wrote what he called fortress cars. It was little orange postcards with a picture of a castle on trying to remind me that I was secure in God. And every term, at the beginning of every term, he'd write me a new fortress card with a verse on it from the Bible, teaching me timeless gospel truths. I got every single one of them at home in a box, really precious to me, dripping truth. And I trust that truth now. My mum was a a great letter writer. She would always write letters to encourage me off the back of something, particularly as I grew towards sort of doing things in in ministry or I shared with her my heart to share the gospel with others. She'd always write letters. I've got lots of them at home to encourage me. Now, that's them. I don't know how you encourage your children, your grandchildren. But it's worth thinking about that as we drip this gospel truth in all the time, and particularly as we model it faithfully, It'll have a profound impact on the younger generation. Emily's little testimony there was a proof that that is the case. Faithfulness of parents, faithfulness of camp leaders, etc. 
So Psalm 78 teaches us that there are timeless gospel truths. Because it's a long psalm, we're not going to look at loads of them, but you can read it. It's a historical psalm recounting the history of God's people and his faithfulness to them. And the purpose of this psalm was to remind God's people of great truths of who God was. And we have the whole of the scriptures now. How much more blessed are we to pass these glorious truths on to the next generation? But of course, timeless gospel truths can't be things that we just know. They're things that have to be actively passed on. Uh, this morning I said that um, when a person thinks about God, what they think about is the single most important thing about them. Okay, so now a little moment of interaction again. Think about our culture. As our young people are growing up, what is our culture, their peers, their parents, the people around them saying to them, when they think about God. Let's just have some of the things that our culture will say about God. Great, all religions are equal. Brian will say no. John 14, verse 6. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So a young person's hearing Brian and hearing somebody else. What do they do? What else do people hear? No, you're right. Stand on your rights. This is the 21st century. Yeah. Yeah, God is irrelevant. What difference can he make in your life? It's a load of made-up stories from years ago. Yeah, face just for people who need a crutch. Brilliant. Yeah, kind of find that inner strength. Brilliant. You don't need God. You've just got your own inner strength and ability that will carry you through. Let's have a couple more. Brilliant, yeah. It doesn't exist. Are you mad that you believe in God in this day and age? He doesn't care. If he does exist, he doesn't care. Surely that's obvious. So the world's so broken, if he cared, he'd do something about it. You see, this is the stuff that young people are hearing all the time. All the time. I guess you guys hear this at school all the time from friends, if you ever have these conversations. But look at how the psalmist reminds us of our responsibility. Verse 4. We will not hide them. That's the the timeless truths we've been thinking about from their descendants. And I love the defiance here. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. We will. We will. And so the question is, as we reflect on this in our own heart, will we? The psalmist is saying we will, but will you? Will I? And again, as we've been thinking in this series, we can't say somebody else will do this. Somebody else has the responsibility of nurturing young people in their faith. We will. It has to be something we do together. I just think about some of the words in that little verse there. As you think about how you seek to pass timeless gospel truths on to the younger generation. The praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Teaching the younger generation that God is praiseworthy is a hugely important thing to do. I want to encourage you, if you're a parent, to kind of redeem moments where you can thank God. Um, you know, saying grace at the table, it's not just sort of something we do as Christians to reel off a bit of gratitude. It's a wonderful way of modelling to children something that's so easy to take for granted, just a plate of food on the table. God is the author, the creator of both the food and those who are able to create it. And so it's an amazing moment in the busyness of a day where we'll come together with our family and thank him, not just for the food, but for who he is for how he's looked after us. Uh, going to bed with children at night doesn't need to be some great elaborate quiet time, but just saying, let's just think of one or two things we can thank God for today. 
particularly if children's heads are low because they've had a difficult day. Yes, it's been difficult, but what can we thank God for? We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. We'll also tell them of his power. What do children love? They love superheroes, the Incredible Hulk, Superman, Batman, whatever it is. These are the things that are in all the films. But there's no greater hero than Jesus Christ, and there's no one more powerful than Jesus Christ. The Incredible Hulk is a puny compared to Jesus Christ. And so as children, and rightly so, their imaginations are captured with these superheroes in films and in cartoons. Are we as the older generation helping the next generation to be captured by the power of God? The awe of God. I think two generations ago, there was much more of an awe of God than there seems to be in this generation. We need to help our children capture again a sense of God's grandeur. Uh, like the little story in Narnia, I um, remember Lucy speaking to Mr. Beaver, asking Mr. Beaver about Aslan, uh, and uh, they're going to be introduced, and Lucy says to Mr. Beaver, is he, Aslan, safe? Uh, Mr. Beaver sort of snaps back, of course he's not safe, but he's good. It's this idea, you can't tame God. He's awesome, but he's good. He's powerful. Uh, a little encouragement, if you've got a child who is anxious, and, and children get anxious about to an adult stupid things really little things that don't seem significant compared to the big problems that adults have to deal with and yet to a child it's a big problem so when a child comes and is anxious about something we can empathize we can listen how about also just saying in that little moment should we come to god who's so powerful and lift your burden your anxiety before him when a little child is scared of the dark let's pray to god who protects you in the night when a little boy is scared about going to school on Thursday for the first time, should we pray and ask God to be with you? Little things that remind our younger generation that God is not just praiseworthy, but he's powerful. Turn our worries into prayers. And then you see here the wonders he has done. Just this idea of helping younger people recognize the utter dependability and faithfulness of God. And if you're older you'll have more of a testimony to tell about this because you'll have so many different stories of how God has been faithful. Emily mentioned it, prayer journals, looking back at how God has been faithful and dependable. See, as parents, we've got to take responsibility for this. And actually, the whole church have to take responsibility for this. And some of the other children have to take responsibility for the younger children because we can't assume... And this is particular danger, I think, in this church, where we stand on a rich legacy of faithful teaching and a wonderful church to be a part of and a vibrant youth ministry. There's always a danger if you're a parent to kind of assume the church will do it. I thank God for our S-Club teachers and our youth workers gone and Nathan is the new youth worker coming. But if you're a parent, it's not Nathan's responsibility to nurture faith in your child, not ultimately, but he will help you in it. It's your responsibility. And if you're a grandparent, it's your responsibility. And we have, as a church family, to not abdicate, as individuals, as parents, not abdicate that responsibility to the church, but allow the church to nurture and help us. If you're someone who hasn't got children, what an opportunity to draw alongside a family and support parents in prayer and encouragement to help them as they nurture faith in young people. Very difficult being a parent. Uh, D.L. Moody, the famous American evangelist, once said this, um, perhaps it's quite strong words, but this was his sense. He was obviously a, a guy with a sort of a real zeal for life. He says, 
when he was meeting with young children and, and doing a kind of Bible study or explaining the gospel in a youth work somewhere, he said this, I've got the children for one week, this one hour this week, the devil has them the rest of the week. And for him, that was his way of remembering just how precious that time was. When we teach children in the S Club, it's not just entertaining them so as adults we can learn real stuff in here. It's teaching them truth that's going to stand them in good stead for the future. And when we're at home having those conversations around the dinner table, it's not just small talk, it's hugely important. We need to redeem those little moments, even if they're just little snapshot moments with our children, with our young people. And so last week I was encouraging the younger people in the church to make a real effort to get to know and to respect and honour the older generation. And I said at the same time, it works both ways. If you're an older person, you could go up to a younger person after church. Just encourage them. Ask them, how can I pray for you this week? Just something small where you connect and show them that they matter. Verse 5, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Notice in verse 5 there, which he commanded our ancestors to teach. And so it's actually not an option for us to be doing this. We have to be a church that takes really, really seriously giving our young people the best opportunity to know Jesus as their Saviour and as their Lord. And I thank God, I think we do it really well, but we can always do it better. And so we need to help each other in that. So you've got these timeless gospel truths. We have to pass them on. Why? To ensure the next generation know God. I want to read to you um, something a little girl wrote in America. Uh, She had been brought up in a Christian home. She'd been to church and been through S Club. Uh, She was about nine or ten years old. And this is some of the things that she had learned. It's a little bit comical in parts but there's a serious point at the end just listen to how she recounts what she's been learning over the years in S Club the children's bible in a nutshell through the eyes of a nine year old little girl in the beginning which occurred near the start there was nothing but God darkness and some gas the bible said the Lord thy God is one but I think he must be a lot older than that anyway God said give me a light and someone did then God made the world He split the Adam and made Eve. Adam and Eve were naked, but they weren't embarrassed because mirrors hadn't been invented yet. Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating one bad apple, so they were driven from the Garden of Eden. Not sure how, though, because cars weren't invented. Adam and Eve had a son, Cain, who hated his brother as long as he was able. Pretty soon, all the people died off, except Methuselah, who lived to be like a million or something. Uh, on the ne- uh, one, um, one of the next important people was Noah, who was a good guy, but his kids had weird names, Ham, Set, Sem, and Jacob. Noah built a large boat and put his family and some children on it. He asked other people to join in, but they said they'd need to take a rain check. After Noah came Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was more famous than his brother Esau, because Esau sold Jacob his birthright in exchange for some pot roast. Jacob had a son named Joseph, who wore a really amazing coat. Another important guy is Moses. He led the Israelites out of Egypt and away from the evil Pharaoh after God sent ten plagues on Pharaoh's people. These plagues included frogs, mice, and hail. God fed the Israelites every day with bread, 
Then he gave them his top ten commandments. These include don't lie, don't cheat, don't smoke, don't dance, or cover your neighbor's stuff. One of Moses' best helpers was Joshua, who was one of the first guys to use spies. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, but the buildings were really badly made and all fell down. After Joshua came David. He got to be king by killing a giant with a slingshot. He named a son, Solomon, who had 300 wives and 500 porcupines. <laughs> My teacher said he wasn't very wise, but that doesn't, he said he was really wise, but that doesn't sound very wise to me. And after Solomon, there was a bunch of major league prophets. One of them was Jonah, who was swallowed by a big whale and then sicked up on the shore. Then there were some minor league prophets, but I guess we don't really need to worry about them. After the Old Testament came the New Testament. Jesus is the star of the New. He was born in Bethlehem in a barn. I wish I had been born in a barn too, because my mum's always saying to me, close the door. Were you born in a barn? It'd be nice to say to her, well, as a matter of fact, I was. During his life, Jesus had many arguments with sinners like Pharisees and Sadducees, who I think were always miserable. Jesus also had 12 possums. The worst one was Judas Asparagus. Judas was so evil, they named him after a terrible vegetable. Jesus was a great man. He healed many leopards and even preached on an olive mountain. But the people put Jesus on trial before Pontius the Pilate. Pilate didn't stick up for Jesus. He just washed his hands instead. Anyways, Jesus died for our sins, then came back to life. He went up to heaven and will be back at the end. I wonder how much we take for granted what our children understand when they teach. I suspect that our children are taught better in RS Club and wouldn't really remind themselves of the Bible in that way. And yet, we mustn't, the point is, it's a bit silly, but the point is we mustn't assume that just because we are a good Bible-centered gospel church with good faithful teaching, that that will always be the case. And we mustn't assume that our children understand. We need to keep reminding them of gospel truth. And as much as we mustn't assume that they're understanding truth just because they're brought up in a Christian home in a Christian church... Equally, I think we need to not assume that our thinking will not have a profound impact on the way that they think. I just listened to John Wesley, the famous hymn writer and preacher. When one generation, what, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. Do you not think this younger generation are reaping the consequences of that? What one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. And then Don Carson, the American scholar. What one generation, when one generation believes the gospel but doesn't confess it, the next generation will assume the gospel and the following generation will deny it. When one generation believes the gospel but does not confess it, the next generation will assume it and the following generation will deny it. If you're a grandparent here and you believe the gospel but you don't confess it, speak it regularly, so that grandchildren can hear. The chances are your children will just assume the gospel. I was brought up in a Christian home. Yeah, I believe all that stuff, whatever that stuff is. And then your grandchildren will end up denying the faith. Hugely important. But to counter that problem, what do we see in verse 4? We have these timeless gospel truths and we're called to pass them on to the next generation. Why, verse 7? So that they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds. Major theme in Psalm 78 is forgetting. If you read Psalm 77, the one before, it's exactly the same theme, forgetting. Read them together, 
And it's a bit of a rebuke. We must not let our children forget. We're not responsible for their salvation. Only Jesus Christ is responsible. But we mustn't let them forget. And of course, it's not automatic. They're not going to know the gospel unless we teach it to them regularly. As we model it regularly. And as we pray for their hearts to be changed. See, what's the alternative to the next generation not forgetting? The alternative is that they will forget. And verse 8 describes what would happen if we fail in our responsibility here. Otherwise, they will be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. If we allow the next generation in a spiritual sense to be stubborn and rebellious, then what they're doing is verse 11, they're forgetting. What they're doing is verse 42, they're not remembering. And so we've got a really, really important responsibility to give our young people the best possible chance to come to know Jesus as their Lord and their Saviour. As we finish, can you just flick to the end of this psalm? Verse 70 to 72. I'm going to read from verse 70. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep's pen. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And Jacob shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. God's people were blessed to have a wonderful shepherd king who put into practice these very words. David, the shepherd king, told the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he had done. Of course, David, the shepherd king, is just a little picture of the shepherd king. And we have a shepherd king in this church, don't we? The king of all churches that are true to the gospel. And our shepherd king comes and lays down his life for us. We saw two people this morning testify to the difference that Christ made. And a number of us here could have testified in a similar way to the difference Christ had made. Testifying about our shepherd king. And so as I finish this morning with that kind of little challenge to parents, it's the same really challenge tonight. The most important thing you can do as a parent, or as a grandparent, or as a friend of someone who has a child... Is to help take responsibility to nurture spiritual truth in their life. To point them to their shepherd king. Jesus Christ is the centre of what the timeless gospel truths we consider is all about. He is the one we need to tell them about. We need to pass this glorious truth on to ensure the next generation will know God. I know that's a really painful thing for some parents because you've done this faithfully. For many, many years, you've prayed faithfully for many, many years. And as yet, children aren't trusting. That's hard. And we walk with you and we cry with you and we keep praying with you. But it's still a call for us to continue in this. Perhaps even all the more to allow the next generation to know God. I said at the beginning that this psalm ends rather abruptly. I think the purpose of it is rather like a parable. It's a call for you and me. How are we going to respond? What are we going to do? We can't all do the same thing, but we can all do something. And so Neil's going to lead us in some time of small group prayer in a moment. But before he comes, just take a moment of quiet and ask yourself this question. What will I do this week 
to respond to this wonderful psalm and help do something to pass on the glory of the gospel to the next generation.